and the scripture reading is taken from the first book of Chronicles, chapter 4, and verses uh, 9 and 10. And uh, good that Rachel was able to tell me how to pronounce the name, because I was thinking, as a South African, you might say Jabez, but the name is associated with pain, so Jab might be more appropriate. So Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother had named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from, from pain. And God granted his request. at the man of prayer. Uh, secondly, we'll look at the prayer of the man. And then third, we'll look at the God to whom this man prays. So the man of prayer, the prayer of the man, and the God to whom he prays. First of all, the man of prayer, Jabez. As we said before, we know nothing about this man. We don't know about his life. We don't know what he did. We hear nothing else really about him in the entire Old Testament or New. We know nothing about Jabez. Now, there is a city called Jabez in chapter 2 of Chronicles. If there's a connection, there probably is. Those who are vastly smarter than me can make those connections. But other than that, we know nothing about this man. But the one thing we have heard about him in verse 9 is that Jabez is more honorable than his brother. To be fair to his brothers, we don't necessarily know how dishonorable his brothers are. They might not have been that bad, but at the very least, we know that Jabez is more honorable than his brothers. Now, a better translation may be that Jabez 
is more honored, meaning that he may be in a more honored position than his brothers. Maybe in that he is the oldest brother, possibly. Maybe in that he, whatever he did in his life, he was in a more honored position. No matter what it is, at the very least, we know that he is more honored or more honorable than his brothers. may not necessarily be all about his character, but at the very least, there may be something about his character, which we'll see in a second, that makes him more honorable or more honored than others in his family and his other brothers. The second thing we know about Jabez, about this man, is that his birth is surrounded by pain. Now, there may be a play on words here. The idea that someone is honorable or someone who is full of glory also has the idea that someone is weighty. So there may be a play on words that the writer is doing here and saying that, well, his life was filled with pain because he was a heavy baby, and I'm not a woman, but my assumption is the heavier the baby, it's probably a little more difficult. Just my assumption. My wife had four. All of them were painful for her, so I don't know which one was more. But that's my assumption is that the heavier it is, the heavier the child is, maybe the more painful it is. Whatever it is, there may be a play on words that Jabez was a very heavy, heavy baby, and his mother knew him as a child of pain because he brought her pain in childbirth. <clears throat> Either way, could it, could it be his weight? I don't know. Could it be something surrounding the life of his mother? Either way, when Jabez was born, his life, and his birth at least, was surrounded by something that made the mother remember pain. If you know anything about the Old Testament, names mean something. People just don't name their kids because it's cute. Usually they name their child because there's something surrounding the life of the family or the child themselves that makes a parent name the child what they named them. Now, this is the first time you all met me, and that's fine, but my name is, is a name of pain for my family. Uh, my middle name is Michael. Uh, roughly two months before I was born, my mother's oldest brother, Uncle Michael, whom I never met, died. And so what my mother decided to do was, well, now that I'm about to have this child in about a month and a half, two months, they already had my first name picked, so I, they, didn't, they weren't going to change that, but this child, me, the middle name is now going to be Michael. And so now, my birth is surrounded by pain. And I know that's the case because whenever my mother's side of the family get together and if they start reminiscing about the old, old times, older days, generally a part of the conversation, they'll say, when did Michael die? And they'll all turn to me and go, Jared, how old are you? And I go, oh, I'm, you know, I'm 37 years old. Oh, so Michael died about 37 years ago. They, they, the family marks out the death of their brother by my age. My, my, my birth, at the very least, is, to a certain degree, a mark of pain for my family. Jabez, whatever is surrounding his life, he's marked by being honorable, but his birth, and maybe his early life, is marked by something that brought his mother pain. Back to his being honorable, though, the one thing we know about Jabez that makes him an honorable person is that he is a man of prayer. As we said before, we don't know anything else about his life. We don't know 
what his occupation was. We didn't know what he did for a living. We don't know any of these things. We don't, we don't know much about him, but at the very least, we know that he prayed. We only have one action from this man's life, and that action is prayer. I would suggest that it's something that we all should be known for. If I think through many of the funerals I've gone through between childhood and adult life, the one thing I don't hear that often, and I think it's to the chagrin of all of us, it's rare I hear if someone says, man, that man who's laying in the casket was a man who prayed a lot. Well, there are other things we'll hear that he was a hard worker, we'll hear that he, even a great father, which those are great things to be, but it's rare you hear somebody say, that man prayed. I think maybe a suggestion for us from the life of Jabez, as short as these verses are, is that he was a man who was honorable and known for prayer, and we should be a people as God's church that are known as a people of prayer. It's interesting, we look at the life of Jesus, remember the time that Jesus was probably angriest, it was a time in which he turned over the tables in the temple, and what was his issue? You guys have made this place, this place that is supposed to be a house of prayer, you've turned into a marketplace. It's almost as Jesus is saying, his people should be marked out as a people of prayer, and the church should be a place that is a place of prayer. Even the Apostle Paul, when he talks about the church, he says that we are called to be a people who lift up our holy hands praying. It's interesting that Paul says that we are called to pray for everyone, but he specifically talks about praying for kings and those in authority, etc. And now that, honestly, that the election season is about to be on us again, and we'll hear the mudslinging and whatever else goes on on the TV, and unfortunately, sometimes we as the church will join into the mudslinging that the surrounding culture does during the political season. But the Apostle Paul says, if the church is to be known as anything when it comes to kings, leaders, government officials, we should be known as a people who pray. We've been a part of the tradition of the church, particularly Reformed tradition, other traditions, that some churches do it every Sunday, some do it once a month, that no matter who is in office, mayor, president, governors, whoever, the call of the church is to pray for them. So my suggestion would be, as we think about the life of Jabez, we think about the things that Jesus and the Apostle Paul says about the church in prayer, as we know this season will come upon us and we will hear all types of stuff and all the mudslinging that God's people should be known as a people who pray. Particularly when it comes to our governmental leaders, we should be known as a group of people, whether we like them or not, that we pray for them. Ian Bounds, just kind of wrap this up about what we are called to be. Ian Bounds, if you know Ian Bounds, he's an older writer. He writes all these little short books. They're quick to read, usually less than 100 pages. And he writes a bunch of little tiny books on prayer. Ian Bounds has this quote that I think is helpful for us when we think about what we are called to be as a people of prayer. Ian Bounds, he says, nothing distinguishes the children of God so clearly and strongly as prayer. It is the one infallible mark and test of being a Christian. Christian people are prayerful, the worldly-minded, prayerless. Christians call on God, worldlings ignore God and call not on his name. 
man cannot be called a Christian who does not pray. I think E.M. Bounds is absolutely right, that we are called to be a people of prayer, and how are we marked out as God's people? We are a people who look to God for our help. The church is called to be a people of prayer. First, we looked at the man himself, this man, Jabez, full of honor, but also a life marked out by pain. Secondly, we look at the prayer of the man. When we look at the prayer, it's very short, but honestly, at least for me, when I hear the prayer, I kind of think, what kind of audacity does this man have to pray this kind of prayer to God? There's so many more important things to pray, and here he is, Lord, expand my borders, keep me from harm, etc. It seems like a very selfish prayer that he's praying. Now, to be honest, and we had uh, talked about this earlier when I got here early, that a lot of it is color, a lot of my ideas about the audacity of his prayer has been colored by a book that was read, I think I was a teenager, uh, called The Prayer of Jabez by Bruce Wilkinson. Now, uh, I, I mentioned it to Godfrey and others that I won't shade his book too much, because uh, honestly, I don't remember the book. I was a teenager, and I, I'm sure my parents made me read it. Uh, but honestly, I remember the way our church growing up and people who had read that book used the book. The book would be used as a book to talking about how to you know, get a college degree and make your business better or make more money, and somehow you would use this prayer as almost like a, a token to God's material blessings. So when I looked at the prayer, I always thought, man, what a selfish prayer this guy prays. The Lord increase my borders. But it's, it's not a selfish prayer. It's not a materialistic prayer, but it is an earthy prayer. He does ask, Lord, expand my borders and keep me from harm. He, he's asking something very earthy. There's nothing wrong with an earthy prayer. Herman Bovink, in his Reformed Dogmatics, Reformed Theologian, he helped me clarify this. He writes, It has therefore been correctly said that, <clears throat> excuse me, that the prayer for a pure heart is as supernaturalistic as the prayer for a healthy body. In other words, Herman Bovink is saying, you pray for both. Pray for the forgiveness of your sins. You pray for the goodness of your soul and righteousness, but you also pray, Lord, help me in an earthy manner. We just prayed the Lord's Prayer, and what do we pray? Give us this day our daily bread. That's earthy prayer. We need your help, Lord, to feed us every day and forgive us our sins. Jesus doesn't disconnect the two. We need God for both. Jesus' prayer is an earthy prayer. It's a good prayer prayer that we look to God even for our physical needs just as much as we look to God for our spiritual needs. Even James, the brother of Jesus, when he is confronting those he's writing to, he said, what quarrels you? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Even James is basically saying the reason that you are covetous of other people's things and you envying even to the point where he says you're murdering people for what for their goods. because You don't ask God to give you what you need. Jabez's prayer is an earthy prayer. We look to God for our physical needs. We're called to have earthy prayers. 
We rely on God not only for our spiritual needs, but even our physical well-being. Even more, it's yes, it's an earthy prayer, but when we look to Jabez's prayer, it's a prayer that's larger than Jabez himself, and so it's not a selfish prayer. There's a clue here, at least when I see it, in verse 10. It says that Jabez prays to the God of Israel. It doesn't say that Jabez prays to his God. Verse 10 seems to already expand the reality. You know, when Jabez prays, though it may seem selfish at the first look, Jabez is praying to the God of Israel on behalf, to a certain degree, the people of Israel. We have to remember that the readers of 1 Chronicles, they're post-exilic, and so they're back in their land. Essentially, they're back in their land, but their land really isn't as full as it used to be. They don't have as much space as they used to be. So to a certain degree, if Jabez is praying, Lord, expand my borders, in order for his borders to be expanded, that means his neighbor's borders have to be expanded and the country's borders, the nation's borders have to be expanded. His prayer is larger than himself. It's not a selfish Bez also serves as a microcosm for Israel and how they are called to pray. As we said before, Jabez is on one hand a man who is known to be honorable, full of glory and weighty, and yet he's a man whose birth, at the very least, is marked by pain. What about the people of Israel? The nation chosen by God in an honored position, and called to be an honorable people, is in the midst of great pain, they are post-exile. As we said before, they're back in their land, but they don't occupy the same space. The temple itself has not been rebuilt, and there is no king from the line of David sitting on the throne. The people of Israel now, as they read 1 Chronicles, are people that are full of glory, but a people that are also full of pain. So what do they need? Just as Jabez prays, they need their borders expanded. They need to experience all of God's covenant blessings. They need the hand of God's protection on their life, and the reality is they want to live a life that is without pain. Jabez's prayer, his life is an example and a microcosm of the people of Israel, but he's also an example to all of humanity. On one hand, we know that we are people born in pain. I think the, the idea that Jabez is born in, born in pain alludes back to Genesis 3 in the fall. After the fall of Adam and Eve, God gives essentially a curse and a judgment to his people. And what does he say to Eve? Your children will be born in pain. We live a life The pain of the sin in our own life that either destroys aspects of our life, brings us down, or at the very least as Christians, we know when we sin, we feel shame. We live a life of pain. And yet we are also humans created in God's image. We are a people of great honor. The writer of Psalm 8 would describe us like this. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. 
You've given him dominion over the works of your hand. You've put all things under his feet. So this is obviously also pointing to the Son of God. This is also a description of people. We are called to be God's vice regents. We are in a very honored position as humans, created in the image of God, a life that can be marked by honor, but also a life that is full of sin and pain. Just like Jabez, all humanity lives in between pain and honor. And the reality is, our prayers generally sound just like Jabez's prayers. Deliver us from the pain of the fall, Lord. Grant us your great blessing. And like Jabez, may we live a life that is marked by glory, not by pain. And may we experience your covenant blessings see the man of prayer, we saw the prayer of the man Jabez, the life that he lives and the prayer he prays as a microcosm for us. But then lastly, we look to the God to whom Jabez prays. A few quick words in verse 10, the second half of verse 10. A word of great promise says, and God granted what he asked. Jabez prays, and God grants what Jabez asks. In other words, God hears, God cares, and God will respond. And any time that we pray, that's the promise given to us as we pray to our Father. We know that God hears us, God cares, and God responds to us promise also in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, it says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. That's a promise made to God's people. That God hears us, God cares for us, and God will indeed respond. But the reality is we don't always feel that way. We feel like God, we know that God cares. That's, that's the easy one. But we're not always sure whether he hears us and we, is he, is he, is he going to respond, particularly is he going to respond the way I want him to respond. But we still have this promise. But I think there's a greater promise we can always look to, even when God does not respond how we want him to respond, or most of the time, when we want him to respond. Because usually when I pray, I kind of want the answer now. We're all like kids at the end of the day. Our kids ask us questions. They want you to respond now. I don't want to go to Target next week. There's something I want there this week. The reality is we act like kids. We pray we want God to respond right at the moment, but the promise is still true. God cares for us, and he hears and he will respond. But we know, even when he takes, quote-unquote, long, at least in our timing, or he doesn't give us the answer that we desire, we still know that he cares because he has given us the greatest answer we can all look for. Remember that we think about First and Second Chronicles, we think about the people who are post-exile, one of the things they are looking for is the promised Messiah and the king who would sit on the throne of David forever, but we live on the backside of those promises and we live in the fulfillment of those promises, for we have 
Jesus Christ given to us, who indeed sits on the throne of David forever. So even when God takes long, even when God doesn't respond like we like him to, our hope is looking to the fulfilled promise of Christ Jesus, his son. We know God cares and hears our prayers because he has given us the most precious gift that he can give. The greatest answer to all of our prayers, Christ Jesus, his son and our savior. Let's now look to him in prayer as we always do. Our God, once again, we thank you. We thank you that you hear us when we offer our prayers to you. We thank you that we can approach your throne of grace as our king, but also we approach you because you are our father. And Lord, help us by the work of your spirit to look to the fulfilled promise of Jesus Christ, your son, when you may seem slow in answering our prayers. May we look to Jesus to know that all the promises that you give are yes and amen in him. So that even when life gets difficult and hard, we look to Jesus Christ for our comfort, our hope, and the fulfillment of all that is good and all your promises. Help us to look to him. It's your name we pray. Amen.